Congress raised the Medicare conversion factor by 0.5% for the January through June period, and then the rate reverts to a 10.1% cut from the 2007 factor. What now? You're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. Joining us today is Peter Lukash. Peter has over 30 years of experience in healthcare and has authored two books on medical practice management, including the Medical Practice Business Plan Workbook. Peter also is a blogger for allbusiness.com, where he writes about the business management of medical practices. Peter Lukash, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Peter, I'm getting exhausted with dealing with Medicare and this tease every year, and then the last minute the governor calls and there's a reprieve. What to do? (laughs) Well, there's a short-term solution and there's a long-term solution. In 2008, this year, we have a really bizarre circumstance for a lot of reasons which are sort of immaterial right now. Short-term increase from January to June, and then it sort of opened up. That was the best deal which the... MGMA, the Medical Group Management Association, the American Medical Association, were able to negotiate with the Bush administration as far as a budgetary deal. So we're in a scenario where you're going to get a little bit more money this year for part of the year, Mm -hmm. and then it's up in the air. You and I know it's a game. In the middle of the year, they won't cut it. They probably won't, but we're going through this every year. So longer term, get to know your congressmen, get to know your senators. The AMA in particular has been very active in this area. And through your county and or state medical societies, there are opportunities to get involved. Write to your congressman, call them, go visit them, whether there's a trip coming up down to Washington them there or when they're home. Physicians have a lot of clout. There is a very strong case that the system for reimbursing physicians needs to be stabilized. The Bush administration budget going forward calls for a slowing of reimbursement rates over the next 10 years, upwards of $500 billion, that's Mm -hmm. with a B, hitting physicians and hospitals both. So this is a long-term problem, and this cannot continue. So that's ultimately it's going to be a political solution as far as making it stop and start fixing it for a time. I think we're going to have a Democrat in office soon. Do you think that this is on their radar? I think ultimately this is on the radar. It's all wrapped up with the ultimate cost of health care and ultimately whether we go to a universal type of coverage system, universal type of financing system in some method, shape, or form. I think in the next four to six years, we're going to see a final resolution for all this. The states, states such as California, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, of course, we've had some very strange bedfellows who've taken the lead in trying to come up with some sort of system which will work. We're experimenting, we're trying, we're failing sometimes. But you know something? If you don't try sometimes, or if you don't fail sometimes, you'll never get to any kind of success. Do you see in practices that you deal with a hesitancy towards a universal payer? You know, it sounds scary, but I personally would love it. It would simplify my life and practice dramatically. And, you know, Medicare is a decent payer. If it turned out that that was the payer for everything, it wouldn't be so bad. Medicare is not a bad payer. Medicare tends to pay pretty promptly. There are problems. But you know something? We have problems with everybody else. We have problems dealing with our bank, with our stockbrokers, with our car replacement place, with our grocery store. So there are going to be problems regardless of the system. Personally, I tend to go towards universal financing. Unfortunately, what's happened, it becomes a political issue of the degree of the government's role in health care. And you'll see people claiming that this is nationalized, 
socialized health system. That is not what is being talked about at all. It's not even remotely close to the same. It's not Canada. It's not England. It's something different, which is kind of more akin to what most other Western nations use. Socialized medicine is not so terrible. The problems you get in, in England in particular and in Canada have been the shortage of available services. So you'll wait a considerable period of time for certain screening tests and certain diagnostic tests. Now, that said, we also in this country do a whole lot more than probably is needed. There are wide variations in the levels of care between New England, let's say, mm -hmm. and California. There was a group out of Dartmouth University, the leader was a Dr. Weintraub, I believe was his name, who just retired, and they looked at this something about a dozen years ago and were rather astounded to see the wide variations without any increase or better outcome for the patients. I'm talking about two to three times difference in hospital admissions as an example. Well, why are you most more likely to get admitted to a hospital in Boston than you are in Southern California? Same person, so fundamentally the same person. So outsiders, government, employers who are paying the bills are asking questions, why such wide variations? And that's where ultimately all this is going, where the pay for performance programs, the quality programs, all that's going towards that direction, kind of getting to what we do needs to be a little bit more standardized and concurrent with what is the best evidence and best practices which we see available today. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Peter Lukash. Peter has over 30 years of experience in healthcare practice management and is a blogger for allbusiness.com. We're talking about the ever-changing reimbursement from Medicare and what we can do proactively to prepare for the oncoming changes. Peter, what should we be doing? couple of things. One is some of the solutions which we're just talking about are going to be long-term on a more of a global political set of circumstances. And in that, I would encourage physicians to very much get involved. Get involved with your local medical society, write to your congressmen and U.S. senators. On a short-term basis, I really suggest a long-term business plan, strategic plan for your practice. That said, we know there are going to be changes as you go along, but you need to have good control of your practice where you are, where you want to be, mm -hmm. and how you're going to get there. First and foremost is a budget. budget. So many businesses, including practices, don't so have a, right. a budget. So at least have a basic outline of what you see is coming in, what you see is going out. And maybe a real eye-opener to you of where you're spending money. It's all labor. It's all people. Most of it is, but I'm telling you, you can't make money without people. People mm -hmm. earn money for you. Right. The key to all this is focusing on the time the physician spends with the patient. Everybody else around helps make that happen. Also, the other area to look at is how you're organized and how things go, the business processes. Is it, in fact, the best way organized? Can you do things a little cheaper, a little faster, a little smoother, both for you as a physician, the staff, and the patient? Very often, we organize around ourselves and don't really think about the patient. There are solutions out there. Walk into the scenario and looking that, there's probably a better way we can do some things. There has been a move afoot right now looking at using checklists more actively in health practices and medical practices as well as in hospital settings. Very complex kinds of things we do many times. There is evidence which suggests that perhaps using checklists would speed what is done as well as improve accuracy. And the model being used is the airline industry, which until very recently with a five-year run without a fatal accident, which is 
extraordinary uh, in history. When am I supposed to practice medicine if I'm spending all day looking at the business and trying to figure out how to save money on styrofoam cups? Well, you have an office manager, generally. It may pay to have a, I'll use the word consultant, I can also call it a freelance manager. And I've done that a couple of times in my uh, career where I was brought in relatively short-term basis and I was would be there part-time to some arrangement which we had worked out, and I would just focus on business operations and procedures, things like that, and then I'd be done. After mm-hmm. four or six months, I would then pull out, you know, kind of help them get the ship set right, and they can go forward without me or without an expert, and there are other freelancers like me. I can always suggest you read my books. There's also training programs around from several of the medical societies and professional societies, and I also suggest you look at the Medical Group Management Association Look at your own staff. Very often they have very good ideas, but sometimes you've got to sit down and ask them. There is, may, could be a better way to do things. So, listen, it's a small business like any other small businesses in some ways, and you have to spend time paying attention to that. Sometimes it's worth buying some help on an interim, short-term basis to help you get through a period, and then you can go off and continue on your own. Peter, let's talk about money and accounts receivables, when are you recommending to your clients that they either send patients to collections or even just write off the money as bad debt? What's the magic number? Well, before you get to that point, somebody should pick up the phone sure. and call and speak to the patient. Sure. I have more times than I care to count uh, run into a problem and you know, these bills come in and sometimes you don't realize it's the different practices or you think, oh, I'm going to pay it next week and you don't do it. Call the patient and many times they'll whip out the credit card on the phone and pay you on the spot. So that's before you get to that juncture, try that. I'd say at least 90 days, send a couple letters, try a phone call. Try actually speak to the patient. Very often you can work out a payment plan on the spot. They're very common or very often they'll whip out the credit card and pay you. Or sometimes they'll pay the full amount. It's not personal. It's you and a whole lot of other things and things which may be going on in someone's life, which has absolutely nothing to do with you at all. But it's one more thing to take care of. Right. I'd like to change the topic a little. What do you think of what's going on in Massachusetts where Blue Cross Blue Shield has actually offered a capitation rate? I find it fascinating. The problem with capitation, I happen to like capitation as a concept. The problem has been twofold, and I also, when I was hands-on running a practice as a practice administrator, I lived with it, so I can speak from experience. It was twofold. One is, what's the rate? What's covered in the rate? And I should say, a third thing is, what you have to have command of what your actual costs are. And you have to understand capitation. I could probably do a whole program and have an old seminar I used to do about capitation, really getting into the nitty-gritty. It's not that complicated. From Blue Cross's perspective, the thing they have to do is have a predictability of their expenses because they have set the insurance rates, the premium rates. Last year, back in 2007, in the summer of 2007, they were setting the premium rates for their insurance products for all of 2008. Now, come October, November 2008, they may be spending a whole lot more than they predicted. Problem for them, which means a bigger premium increase in 2009, assuming they see it happen fast enough. So from their perspective, they're trying to gain some predictability. From the practice's perspective, you get a steady check. What you need to understand is what that check is covering. A lot of what some of the big practices and organizations ran into in the 1990s was they took on too much risk. They're responsible for paying for too many things which they could not control. 
if you're being paid in the capitation rate to deliver care on the specialty which you have for your group of patients, it's probably a good thing, although you need to run the numbers, and I can't emphasize that enough. Understand what's going on here. If you're being told that, let's say, you're a primary care physician and you're going to also pay for any referrals you make to specialty services, that's a problem right. because you control the referral, but you don't control what happens afterwards. So, you know, keep it close to home, so to speak. From your mouth to God's ears, and on that note, I'd like to thank our guest, Peter Lukesh, for joining us today. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on Reach MD XM 157. To comment or to even listen to our full library of podcasts, please visit our website at reachmd.com. And once you go there, register with the promo code RADIO, and we'll give you six months free of streaming ReachMD that you can listen to day and night on your home or office computer. Thanks for listening.